so excited you're along for the rise. Here at Rising, we talk all things manifestation, life purpose, and more. Join me in today's episode as we rise together. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Rising. Today, I am here with Rajni Lakha, a mindset coach. Rajni and I connected on Instagram a few weeks ago, um, as well as Clubhouse. So I'm excited to have you on Rajni today, and I'm going to pass the mic over to you to introduce yourself to our audience. Yeah. Hi, guys. Thank you for having me here, Nishsa. I am a mindset coach, and my mission is to bridge the gap between spirituality and mindset through science and through ancient wisdom to really bridge that gap and allow both worlds to come together and realize there is truth in what's being shared through the ancient wisdom that's been shared over generations and generations and also that science can play a role into this we can understand this on fundamental levels um, and that we can be friends we don't have to be in argument with each other or say one is better or one is worse. Um, I think if we go hand in hand, we can go a lot further in life. So with my clients, I help them understand both the ancient wisdom that's coming through spirituality and also the psych and the biology and all of that, the science behind all of spirituality. Yeah. And I love that that's your perspective because I feel like for me being a neuroscience major and then diving straight into a spiritual brand, if you will, it was definitely a unique perspective. And I feel like a lot of the people that I met in the science community were strictly neuroscience and psych oriented or the people that I met in the spiritual community were very much more esoteric. And so I think that you were one of the first few people I met who's really bridged that gap. It's interesting, the conversations that I have with you. And I think that Um, even the things that we've talked about off air would be so interesting to go into. And so I guess just to dive in, I know that the first time we chatted, I was listening to, um, this is right after I listened to your podcast on, I'm forgetting what what was her name on whose show was it? Sarah. I don't know how to pronounce her last name. So I'm not going to. (laughs) And you guys were talking about evil eye and Nazar. And I think that's just a very common topic in South Asian Middle Eastern culture. And I've heard it a ton amongst my family, my family friends. And I think there's always that question of like, how true is it really? How much of an impact does it play into our lives? And how does one protect themselves from Nazar? And I think that those are questions that I've always toyed around with, especially with really trying to look at it from like an energetics and quantum physics angle, but then also tying in the neuroscience and psych components. I'm just interested in hearing your perspective about how all of those elements tie in together and how you perceive the lie. Yeah. So I feel like I can't go into this without sharing my journey of what led me to my perception of it right now. So back in February, we had a death in our family and I was going through a really, really hard time. And I got into a conversation with someone who said, who told me that someone was doing black magic on me. And because I was already so confused, I was so lost and just in fear and sorrow that I took their truth on as my own. And so all of a sudden my mind was looping of someone is attacking me, someone is doing this. And all of a sudden I felt like I had to safeguard myself and I felt even worse. And so everything I was seeing in the world, I saw it through that lens of someone is trying to harm me, someone is attacking me. And once I got out of that 
dark period of my in my life of this year, I started to question whether it even was real or not, whether what I was thinking and what I was seeing was caused by the conversation I was in or whether it was in fact reality. And so that led me into connecting evil eye and Nuzzer and black magic and all of that to how the mind works and how how we start believing things, how we form limiting beliefs and how we see the world. So I was reading a book called The Power of Your Subconscious Mind and it breaks down to you the difference between the conscious and the subconscious mind. So when you look at evil eye through the lens of limiting beliefs and subconscious mind and conscious mind, you begin to realize whatever you focus on is a reality you call in. So if I was looking at that dark period of my life as evil eye, as someone casted an evil eye on me, that was all I was ever going to see in the world. Because we have this thing in our mind called the reticular activating system, the RAS. It's like our personal algorithm. And this personal algorithm is fine-tuned by our beliefs and the emotions followed by that belief. And because I was so lost in that time, I took that person's belief as my own and the emotions that followed were very, very strong and powerful. And so that was all I saw. And when I sat back to reflect on that, I realized, wow, I may have just perpetuated and created my own dark night of the soul. Like I was sitting there and calling upon all these things, not even calling, I was looking at it through this lens when in reality, reality was neutral. I could have perceived that in any which way. I could have just said, you know what? Fear is coming up for me and the narratives that are following may or may not be true, but I took those narratives and created a reality out of it. And so that really got me started on questioning whether Budi Nazar is real or not, whether it's made up through our mind or whether it is in fact an energetic reality. And I don't know if I have an answer to it yet, right? Because it could be both and it could be neither. It could be both because what we believe is what we see and perceive and live out. But also energetics come into this. So when someone is thinking really negative thoughts about us, when someone is having, and Buri Nazar, it's interesting because it's even when you're having really good thoughts about someone, but their intentions may be off. So yeah. when I was doing research on what Buri Nazar is, how it's cast and who's most vulnerable, children, women, and especially pregnant women are most vulnerable. And it can be caused by someone over complimenting you, over like just loving up on you. And so I thought that was interesting. And that's where I started questioning the energy that's coming in. So are we picking up on negative energy? Is there a negative intent to them over loving on you, to over complimenting on you? Is that what's causing the nazar? So I really, in my experience of that dark night of the soul, I started questioning both the energetics and the the science behind it. And it, I don't know if I have an answer yet. So yeah. I'd love to hear what you think. 
I think my perspective is quite similar in viewing things from the more neuroscientific standpoint where I've studied the RAS and seeing things in our external reality that are basically material, almost counterparts, if you will, of our thoughts. And then at the same time, there's almost this like mysterious undertone to the idea of evil eye because I've heard so many smaller scenarios that I can just share because they're so they're so quick and short but my mom would tell her friends about how I, she has this particular story and she claims that she is more susceptible to evil eye and was also actually told this mm. by a pundit or an astrologer when she was quite young so this could be a reality that she created or maybe there was some energetic susceptibility and vulnerability that this pundit or astrologer truly picked up on and was warning her about I have seen this in front of my mom or in front of my face playing out in my mom's reality but she is such a morning person and she's never really needed an alarm growing up and so she was just chatting with one of her friends about how she just doesn't set an alarm because she wakes up and her friend was like, that's crazy. Like you don't need an alarm. And she's like, no, the next day was the first day she ever missed her alarm in her life. Ever mm -hmm. since then, she's needed to set an alarm. Yeah. Similarly, she was talking to another one of her friends about my mom's age so well. She's gorgeous. Friends were like, you like, don't have any like gray hairs. Like, you don't have any white hairs. You're just, she was, and, and I think one of her friends asked her if she had dyed her hair and she said, no, she's never dyed it. And she had never like even noticed a white hair on her head. The next morning she wakes up, notices a white hair for the first time in her life. And ever since then, she's noticed more and more and more. So mm -hmm. I find those instances really fascinating because I think even in those scenarios, because these were almost overnight things, I'm like, was this just her reticular activating system searching for proof of something? Was this potentially just a negative intention or maybe it wasn't an intentional negative energy that was being transferred from her friend to her, but maybe it was like a subconscious like envy, like, wow, I wish I could do that. I wish I had, who knows what it is. But the fact that that happened, I was like, this is so weird. There's something going on and I still can't explain it. And I think I wanted to tie in um, our mutual friend, for those who don't know, Rishi, who's amazing on Clubhouse, who is a monk. Um, I was speaking to him about this concept and he said there are negative energies in the world, but if you are rooted in love, they can't touch you. So for a lot of, you know, I, I've seen culturally, we have all these like spells or protection methods that we do to protect ourselves from Nuzer and evil eye. And I think a lot of us have probably seen them growing up. And he said, there probably is some truth to them. They probably do temporarily work. But at the end of the day, because it is a material method of counteracting this energy, you are still playing into the game. You have not left the game. You are in the same playing field. So in order to be at a place where those energies can't even touch you, you cannot entertain the game. You have to transcend it completely. And so things like prayer and chanting and being rooted in love and meditating and being as much as you can in those higher vibrations will not allow the negative energies to even touch you. And I think that as I'm saying that in my head, it reminds me of what you were saying off air, where you were describing the energetic waves and how when they're incongruent, um, there will be a little bit of that, that discrepancy or that dissonance. So I'm interested in you just kind of sharing that with the audience, because it was really cool for me to hear how you described that. So um, 
yeah, I definitely want you to just like share that with us about more of the quantum physics end of energy and how that kind of plays into how we vibe or don't vibe with people. Yeah. So if we look at everything in waveform, so energy and waveform, we either vibe energetically or we don't. And that is the difference of being congruent or incongruent. So do the waves align or do they not align? Are they opposite? So when we meet someone that we will perceive as, oh, I don't, I don't like their energy. They seem a little off. It's just our waves aren't matching, right? They're incongruent. And when we meet someone that is that vibes with us, that's just good energy. We leave feeling, we leave that conversation feeling so wonderful. We talk praises about that person. We just feel so amazing. So if we look at everything in waveform and look at the energetics, whether we're picking up on the negative energy because those people are incongruent with us or whether we're picking up on whether it's our subconscious mind that's creating this reality because we're finally bringing into our attention what was never there. So when your mom was having these conversations with her friends, right? Was she all of a sudden focusing her attention on that, which she never brought into her awareness. So maybe that piece mm. of white hair was always there. Right? right. And maybe she felt the incongruency with her friend and herself. They weren't a vibrational match at that time. They weren't in alignment. So it, who's to say it was either or and can we ever measure exactly. these things I don't know if we can ever measure these things and I'm sure there are scientists out there like Joe Dispenza and his team that can come up with some type of conclusion but again when we study these type of things it usually goes into pseudoscience right that's what everyone yeah. calls it no one wants to believe it but these have these are things that have been passed down for generations and generations. The the wisdom and knowledge of Budinazar. Whether we've collectively created that reality because we so firmly believe that it's real, or whether it's actually energetics playing out, I don't have an answer for that. And I don't know if in my lifetime we ever will in our lifetime, but anytime. I consider that I may be under evil eye. I look at both sides now. So it's like, logically, does this make sense to me? Logically, am I just perpetuating a reality because I'm in a state of confusion, because I'm in a state of fear? Or is it really something that I feel off energetically? Does that person feel incongruent right now? Does that person feel like they have ill intentions for me? So really discernment. And you can only get to that level. I don't want to say you can only get to that level, but getting to that level of discernment means you need to have that discernment within yourself. Are you in alignment with your center, with your soul? And that's a lifelong journey. So a lot of it goes back to your journey and finding yourself and being alignment with yourself. And then from there, discerning these two different realities and these two different ways of seeing this. I love that you've said that last part because I think that in both of our cases, we have these two different realities to kind of, you know, bounce back and forth between. But for, I think some people who may be listening, who are on one end of the spectrum in terms of being either more esoteric and um, intuitive, and then on this other end of being very like neuroscience, you know, physics like minded, 
I think that um, there might even not be two realities. And there might be people who listen to this and they're like, no, this is, of course, this is your brain. This is your brain looking for proof of something. What else would it be? You know, I have friends who will kind of have those responses. Um, when I even talk about manifestation and law of attraction that's shown in quantum physics, they'll be like, well, no, you just worked for this. That's how you got it. Uh, <laughs> rather than seeing it as like, I have quantum leap to this particular outcome. And so it's funny because of course I've worked for it too. And I, 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 that's the thing. It's like, some people might be listening to this and be like, yeah, it's all like, of course that's not zero. Of course it's a negative mm-hmm. energy. So I think that even recognizing right now, like you and I have two realities, but maybe some people watching this, like won't necessarily resonate with both and they just have one or neither who knows um but I did like the point that you made about and there's two two ways I want to go with this but I think I appreciated that you mentioned that when we are in a state of fear we are more susceptible to um and even with your story when you were just talking about being in a low place and then almost like self-inducing your own dark night of the soul due to an external comment that was made about whatever was going on. Um, it's interesting because I think we do cling on to things because we want truth and we want to be rooted in some way. And it reminds me of an experience that I had a couple of weeks ago, um, with someone who I know in my circle, who, um, I've seen as clairvoyant and if people listening right now don't resonate with that, totally cool. Disregard that. But I do resonate with it. I believe that exists. And, um, who told me that I'm about to go through a very low phase in my life very mm-hmm. soon. And this was also on my natal chart. So I was kind of expecting it then to hear this from a close friend who has, you know, been able to pick up on energy really well. I went home that night and I felt the worst I felt in years <laughs> and that carried on for the next two months. And I only got wow. out of the dark night of the soul experience recently. And I wonder, I really do, if I had never heard that comment from her and if I had never looked at my natal chart, how would the last two months of my life have been? So just another question to throw out there. Um, again, I was all obviously in a state where I was giving away my power too. And I do want to emphasize that too, where I have noticed that because being spiritual, whatever that means to you, and I'm saying that in quotes nowadays can be weird and it can be scary. We latch on to people who can see us within the spiritual community and not everyone who is navigating their faith whether they're spiritual or they're religious or they're not like not everyone is always coming from a place of love either because we're all working through our own ego and sometimes we can come off as even more volatile than people who are just totally detached from religion and spirituality and so what I've noticed is that in my experience I have had a tendency of putting people on a pedestal if I notice that they can kind of see me in some way and I did this with this particular friend who was able to pick up on energy really well I put this person on a pedestal for years. And, um, because I was giving away my power to this person, I let that comment create a reality for me. I believe that might've not existed had that powerfully within been within myself. And I could have set that boundary and been like, no, that's not going to happen to me. Thank you. But, um, what I've had to learn along this journey is that you can give away your power, but at the end of the day, if you do, you will always in some way, be a victim or a prisoner to your own reality. And I think those terms are really extreme. I don't mean to use prisoner in that, um, you know, in, in a very extreme manner, but I noticed that I kept giving my power away to this person and I was molding my reality around everything that she would say that she was picking up on about my energy, about my relationships, my friendships, my career, what she thought was my purpose, what she didn't. 
And I never really checked in with myself and thought, well, does that even resonate with me? I took it for face value. So I do want to throw that in as well of like when your power is in yourself and you are rooted in that, but also coming from love, I think you are at the utmost level of protection. And I'm saying that in quotes again, um, from anything negative that could affect you because you are just making decisions from a place of certainty of knowing yourself. Um, and then it goes back to the comment that you made about knowing yourself on a soul level. So, um, I was also really interested and we talked about this a few weeks ago in your canvas analogy of the subconscious mind and the conscious mind and how the, I believe it was a subconscious of the blank canvas. I want you to say it because you've said it so beautifully. I don't want to say it in your words, but, um, talk about that. I'll see if I can recall it the way I said it. So the way I see the conscious mind and the subconscious mind. So for those of you that don't know, our conscious mind is where we operate from when we are fully present and when we are learning, when we're using our cognitive abilities, when we are just here. Our subconscious mind is where we operate from 95% of, people say 90 to 95% of the time. A lot of people, uh, People haven't come to terms on what the exact percentage is, but the subconscious mind is where we operate on from when we're on autopilot. So it's where we're doing things based on memory, based on learned behavior, based on past experiences, based on trauma, based on all the things our brain has stored and wired into us to help us survive in this world. So the way I, I like to have this image in my head is the conscious mind is the gatekeeper into the subconscious mind. So the, com- the conscious mind is, it has polarity. It can decide what's good and bad. The subconscious mind has absolutely no polarity. As soon as the conscious mind believes it, the subconscious mind will take it in as reality. So that is why the conscious mind is a gatekeeper. And the subconscious mind, although we have all this stored memory, it's also the blank canvas where everything, all our potential lies. So it's where we manifest things from. It's where the law of attraction works from. It's where the reticular activating system decides what to focus on based on what the conscious mind takes in as reality. So the way I see it is, the conscious mind is the gatekeeper to the sub to the subconscious mind, which is a blank canvas along with everything we have lived and experienced in this lifetime. So how we choose to use it is on us. And this is where I get lost because if you use the subconscious mind to live in the past, you're going to have problems like depression and all these other things come up, you're going to keep remembering your trauma and all that stuff. But if you use it to live in the future, then you're using it as law of attraction. I'm going to manifest all these things. And where it leaves me lost is, well, the spiritual path says to just be here and be now. So am I getting lost in law of attraction when I'm trying to be who I want to be and what I want to attract? Am I still missing the point by getting lost in the world of law of attraction? Or is that something, is that a tool I just get to use being a human being now that I know it's, it's something I can use? Can I still use it? But is it misaligning me to my spiritual journey inward by just not being here? I 
love that because I think that exact um, point is mentioned in the power of now where mm-hmm. there is a difference. It, it's almost like with the manifestation when you're doing it from a very outcome-based standpoint, you are in your ego and therefore you are not in the present. Whereas when you are just here in the now and you're coming from a soul-based place, that is that is coming from love. That's not coming from ego or wanting to mm-hmm. run away or be anywhere else. And I think that it's really interesting because I have noticed that, and I, I feel like a lot of people who study law of attraction and work with it know this, the outcome comes from being in the present. That's how paradoxical mm-hmm. it is. So even when we're doing these practices of like, what do I want one day? And where do I want to be? And doing the affirmations and the scripting, none of that's going to come to you the more that you are there, right? Mm -hmm. It'll only come when you are here, but you're also working on yourself. You're elevating. Maybe you want to visualize here and there, which is normal to have goals for yourself in the future and think about where you want to be. But those results won't come in the more that you're there in your head. Once you set the intention, the universe knows what you want. Like it knows you're always thinking about it. Of course it knows what you want, but it can't reach you until you have done your part to meet that vibration. And that's why I think law of attraction is is such a co-creational experience. People view it as a magic spell where the universe is going to drop things into your lap if you say it. X amount of times a day, do the three, six, nine method, the five, five, five. And that's what I try and dispel on my platform because I'm like, sure. I believe that there are some, there's some significance to those numerological sequences and methods, but no one talks about how important the detachment is. And you said something amazing. Cause we were talking about this a couple of weeks ago too, where I was just like, how do you, how do you detach when you really want something? And I think your response is something that is going to be a game changer because that is one of the most common questions I get on my platform. So I wanted you to definitely um, touch on that. Like, how does one detach? Um, and is that a question that is even worth asking? Yeah, I think it's definitely a question worth asking. How do you detach from the thing it is you want, right? Desire, we can get lost in desire. And that's where the attachment comes in. If you're attached to that outcome, you're not trusting the universe. If you're still waiting for it to happen, you're saying, hey, universe, I don't trust you. So I'm going to try to control this in some way. So me having that attachment is me still trying to have some sense of control. But that's the greatest illusion of life. We don't have any control. And so surrendering and detaching from it is key. And the question I ask myself and my clients is, can you accept yourself with and without that reality? Because if you Mm -hmm. can, if you can accept yourself with and without that reality, you have fully surrendered. You say, I am complete in this moment and I accept my reality as is. And I also accept it with that thing, but whether it happens or not does not affect me on a fundamental level. And I think when you can get to that point with whatever it is you're trying to bring into your reality, it'll happen. But again, you don't need to know when, you don't need to know how, you don't need to know any of that because you accept who you are in this moment and who you are stepping into in each moment. I think where people get lost is people think they'll only be happier, they'll only be complete once that thing comes in. 
well, if you feel incomplete, you're going to perpetuate the reality of feeling incomplete. And so totally. if you feel like you're going to be complete with that thing, but in this reality, you feel incomplete, that's the signal you're sending out into the universe that I am incomplete. So keep sending me a reality in which I feel incomplete. So it's, it's very nitpicky in how you look at it, but I think it's, it's key in detaching and accepting who and what you are in each moment with whatever it is that you're manifesting. Cause again, like you said, that brings you back into this moment. You're no longer focused on that, that future timeline because you realize all timelines are here now, right? Mm -hmm. Everything is only ever happening in the now. So if we can tap into another moment of the now and accept that version of ourselves now, whatever it is attached to that, that version of the now it's already here. You just, you get to trust it'll be here. Yeah. And I'm so glad that you said that because that was a question that I was never able to answer for people. And then I talked to you and that's when I had my breakthrough of like, there is no way to detach. It is a mindset shift of seeing everything as whole in this moment and also recognizing that and it's so hard for our human mind to conceptualize this, but time is only linear here in this dimension. That's why we view things as potentially unattainable because there isn't that certainty, but in the 5d, which in, in, the spiritual community we kind of refer to as like the fifth dimension where all of the esoteric energy stuff is going on. Um, the time space continuum, this is just physics. This isn't even like crazy esoteric spirituality. The time space continuum just shows that everything is happening right now, currently as it is like there is no linearity. Um, so I think that when it comes to manifesting the really, the goal is to, dissolve the ego as much as you can, because the only thing obstructing or getting in the way of you and that ideal reality that you want so badly is your perception. It will one, it's lack of trust in the universe. And two, it is, and if you don't resonate with the universe and you don't believe in it, then, you know, rule that one out. But two, it is from a scientific standpoint, your inability to at the moment conceptualize that that is a faraway reality and that it's going to happen later in life and it cannot it, it doesn't exist in this moment right now and it's really hard to kind of wrap your head around that and trust me it's taken time and it's like I've definitely had to read Joe Dispenza's work and understand what that even means and also just look back at the times in my life where I have successfully manifested things that I've wanted to validate this will happen this will happen when the time here in this dimension is right um, obviously doesn't exist in 5D that way, but that is where the challenge comes from. So the ego comes in because it doesn't know when, doesn't know how, it doesn't trust there's a possibility that that won't come. And um, that's the thing. It's like when you attach your happiness to an outcome, you are further and further preventing that reality. And just so that I feel like people in the audience know like how human we are, at least in my experience that I am, I have been trying to manifest travel for a year now and I am so attached to that outcome and I am so desperately associating being in another city or country of the world with my happiness that that has not come to me. And whoever's listening to this, if you're like a close friend of mine, you can ask my close friends too. like, you know how easily I manifest stuff in my life. Things just come to me, but that has not. And it is because with everything else in my life, I feel complete. I don't feel like I'm missing out on anything. But with relocating and with traveling and wanting to be all around the world, 
I do feel like I am lacking that at the moment. And I know that's exactly why it has not come in and it has been difficult. It has been hard. So when we say all of this stuff, I'm sure that people are listening and they're like, well, I still don't get it. It's still difficult. It's still hard. And I want to validate you guys in feeling that way because it takes time. And um, the things that I have manifested in my life have been so unintentional and organic. So it is paradoxical. And I want to validate you guys in feeling the frustration around that. Um, but I hope that at least like some of our conversation and our insights have kind of helped provide clarifications or insights for you guys. Yeah, I wanted to also include how our subconscious mind is coming into play when we are manifesting something and it's not coming to life. We get to consider what limiting beliefs may be holding us back. What beliefs have we picked up from our life that are counterintuitive to the very thing that we are calling in? And also our conscious mind, which is, it's, it sees things as good and bad. So how is it perceiving that which you are manifesting? And is it, <clears throat> my bad, is it um, the secondary thought to whatever it is you are manifesting? is it the opposite of what you are calling in? So let's say you're calling in travel, but your secondary thought is, oh, I'll never travel. The pandemic, X, Y, and Z, all these things. Well, that's the energy lingering on within you, right? That's what you believe Definitely. is true. That's, that's the energy you're living based off of. That's the energy your body is picking up on your mind. And so of course it's gonna keep perpetuating that reality versus the thing you are manifesting, but you aren't embodying it. You have to embody what it is you are calling in. When the mind and body are aligned to that which you are manifesting, there's no way not calling it in. It is because that is your reality on every which level. So another aspect of law of attraction that I feel like people miss out on is can you convince your body that it is a reality, right? Mm -hmm. We can do it through the mind. We can we can do the writing, whatever it is, but if our body doesn't believe it, we're going to keep perpetuating the reality our body believes. And so bringing that reality into, so if you're doing the three, six, nine method, as you're writing it down, can you feel it in every cell in your body that this is my truth and I surrender to this truth and any thought that comes in afterwards, it's not my reality. It's not my truth. That is really powerful because I've never considered the bodily component to it. And I think there's such a huge mind body connection. And there's a lot to say about practices that really help strengthen that like yoga that help you kind of create the union, because I think that there's still a lack of how much that union is emphasized in our society today. And I really try and be intentional and mindful of that, even when I'm going on walks and just like sinking my movement with my breath and my steps with my breath. That's something I try and be aware of. And I think for anyone who's, again, who's still listening and is like, well, I don't understand, like, how am I just supposed to filter out my thoughts or, you know, pay attention to my body? I would just suggest starting out with like a fun workout, blast music around your room. That's going to get your mind high vibe, sing along to it, do your makeup, dance, get that blood flowing. And when you are doing affirmations or you're scripting or saying out loud, what you want to see in your reality or visualizations, as you are in this like state where your adrenaline is flowing and you're releasing more dopamine, you will manifest 
faster. So I always say affirmations, literally I'll be doing dance cardio workouts. And when I'm taking little water breaks or even as I'm dancing, sometimes I'll just say out loud what I want to see. I'll be like, I'm traveling the whole world. Like I will say random things. I probably seem crazy doing it, but like, you know, I'm home alone in my house when I do things like this. So like, (laughs) just understand that. Or if you guys go on a walk in nature, nature is so grounding. Maybe take a journal and do your scripting there, do some affirmations. So I know that like when people are new to manifestation, they can see all of this as like really procedural methods, but I want you to look back at times in your life just to, for you to kind of grasp how easily you've manifested before. I want you to look back at times in your life where things have just flowed in without you even thinking about it try and think back to where you were, what energetic state you were in when that particular opportunity came, whether this was a job or a relationship, a friendship. And so many people will say, and I I think that most people can probably like say they've witnessed this. uh, When people get into a relationship, they'll always be like, oh, it just happened when I least expected it. I'm sure people who are listening have either experienced that or seen someone who's gone through that. That is manifesting. That is literally it. And it can be unintentional for sure. I think most of manifestation happens on an unintentional, from an unintentional angle, but that is an example of it. Or maybe a job opportunity or an interview that randomly, like a recruiter that randomly reached out to you um, and was like, Hey, are you interested in this? And you're like, wait, I was like, not even thinking about it. Like that person wasn't even on my radar. How did they reach out to me? And how did this opportunity come into my lap? So I want you to remind yourselves of that and understand that that is manifesting. That is what that is. You have done this before your mind and body have done this for you. The universe has done this for you and you have co-created. Um, I don't want this conversation to make you seem like you have to do X, Y, and Z. Cause these are just like different methods. These are different things that are out there um, and different ways to discuss how energy is always around us and how we can utilize it. But I want you to understand how organically it's always happening for you when you're not even thinking about it. Um, So I think with that, Rajni, did you have anything else that you wanted to like add? Because I think this conversation has been really holistic and um, really interesting for me, but I'll leave the mic over to you if there's anything you wanted to throw in there, um, as well as your social handles and where people can find you. Yeah, of course. So I wanted to add one last thing. I really liked what you just touched on here. I feel like that's another element of detachment. So when people ask, how do I detach? It's not when you tell yourself, I don't want to think about this. I don't want to think about this. I don't want to think about this. You're thinking about it. You're going to keep Mm -hmm. thinking about it, right? You're going to keep calling in that energy and you're going to keep reminding yourself you don't have it. So can you shift your energy and focus entirely and get into the frequency of joy, get into the frequency of gratitude, get into what brings you joy and happiness, just completely shift yourself, get into the mode of playing. When did you last allow yourself Mm -hmm. to play? Because you're associating what you want to manifest to a good feeling yet you keep feeling shitty about it so can you just drop what it is that you're manifesting get yourself into an experience that allows you to feel good so for yourself dancing right dancing go play outside go climb a tree whatever it is shift your energy and your focus entirely and the universe is like oh well she already feels good let me just go drop this in there for her because this is aligned to her feeling good. So shift your energy and focus completely. just thought I would add that in there. No, I love that. Um, And if that means just getting out of your room and like going and hanging out with a friend to distract yourself, Mm -hmm. um, 
that can be super, super powerful. I find that most of my thoughts around the frustration around travel come when I'm in my house and I'm triggered by my parents and I'm at home. So nowadays I'm just really trying to like get out of the house more and the weather is nice. And when I am at home, I'm trying to really uh, like affirm to myself, I am safe here. Nothing is restricting my freedom. I have freedom currently. It is fine. I'm creating this narrative in my head because my ego is getting triggered and I'm telling myself I am restricted. I'm not free X, Y, and Z. I am. I am if I allow that reality to really seep into me energetically. And I, I think that that's something I'm taking away from what you have shared on this call today is like, do you feel it in your body? And I think I haven't integrated that enough. So thank you for sharing that. And for everyone listening who wants to reach out to you, where can they find you on social media? So you guys can find me on Instagram. My handle is Rajni with three I's and an underscore. So R-A-J-N-I-I-I, like third I, um, underscore. And then my website is rajnilaka.com. That is R-A-J-N-I-L-A-K-H-A.com. And I'm sure you'll put this in the show notes. So you guys can find me there. Awesome. Yes, this will be in the notes. Um, Rajni, thank you so much for your time today. This was, I think, a really informative conversation. And I feel like I always learn when I speak to you, whether it's on air or off air. To everyone listening, thank you guys for joining in for another episode here at Rising. And I will see you all on our next episode.